My guests today are Bill Vida, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. Bill, Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you very kindly. Yeah, thank you. We're talking a lot about the idea of, of modernization. I think that's been one of those topics that we can never get away from in a good way because it's, it's always going on. And, and Bill, I one, first of all, appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a few years since you and I first uh, talked back uh, in your education days and back uh, other jobs you've had across government. So it's good to catch back up with you. But as the CIO at the Interior Department, there's a lot going on. So let's just start. Uh, network cloud adoption strategy. Give me some insights into what it looks like at Interior. We are absolutely at the department moving towards a strategy of becoming a completely cloud-centric organization. And, you know, I guess the benefit of having some of those jobs before is uh, watching how some of these paradigms shift. You know, fundamentally, it's about who controls your technology and who controls your data and how do you do that most cost-effectively and efficiently. And there's not really one answer that, that fits all the different situations that you run into uh, at a department, but uh, we're definitely on the path. Uh, we're moving from having completely 100% of our assets uh, on the floor in the department to as far as we can push that with our cloud partners and providers, and we're making good progress. Uh, I know one of the questions that you forwarded earlier was how do we define that? And at least in the case of things like email and collaboration, very recently we completed our migration from being a, a Google shop to a Microsoft 365 shop. And of course with that, it's not just the email, but it's all the tools like Teams and, and SharePoint and the other collaboration capabilities that's incumbent therein. Uh, we have a lot of different activity underway within the different bureaus and offices within the department. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar with us, we have a very broad mission. Uh, I serve as the department CIO, but we have 11 other people who serve in the role of CIO with places like the U.S. Geological Service, the Bureau of Reclamation, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the National Park Service, many, many others. And so within that diverse mission, uh, we have a great opportunity across all of those other organizations to find best practices, to step those up to the benefit of the department as well. And uh, we take all those lessons learned and we move the ball forward. So it's, it's a, a large story, take a lot of words to tell it in general, but we have a lot of great work underway where we're moving things into the cloud and we've got a lot more great things to come. I remember when Interior was one of the first agencies to move email to the cloud. And that seems like so long ago now, almost probably 10 years ago, not quite. Yeah. But um, what's the difference today from that initial move? And I know you weren't at Interior back then, but what's the yeah. difference between today and back then when, when the first started going? What do you see as the, the biggest difference in the strategy? From a strategy perspective, if you think about it from a technical perspective, you're moving things from on-premise to off-premise. So you're asking somebody else to step into your shoes. And in the old days, what that meant was you, you actually had vendors who would come in and operate your equipment for you and serve as your system administrators. And even though that they were in maybe doing some of that work for you, it was familiar. There were uh, many instances where the vendors might step directly into your shoes and run your systems for you. And when the, the systems that you own, the specific technologies sunset, they would buy something compatible and, and run it. And for somebody who wasn't 
looking at it every day, it would almost look like the vendors were an extension of staff. And if you walked into the shop, they had to comply with all the same rules that you set uh, for your own desk procedures and operating procedures. And But for the color of their badge, it, it was a one-to-one -one transition. With something like what's going on in the cloud, a lot of that gets stripped away. Of course, they have to meet the contract compliance requirements in all the language. And of course, they have to meet all the federal security requirements. But as a service, we care more about availability than the specifics about how those clouds are managed. And so uh, once they jump through all the hoops that are associated with security and all the compliance and oversight and contractor reporting requirements, how they actually do that work is less interesting to us now. And really how they do that work in a way that ensures that you've got availability of that data, that you've got transportability of that data across all the different cloud domains that you're working with, that's actually a, a far larger part of the, of the concerns that we deal with every day than just whether a server is up or down or not. So the, the relationships are, are in many ways fundamentally different than what they were uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But that, but that frees us up then to be less of the people who have to worry about the wires and pliers. Yeah, what that allows us to do is really focus on the value add that we're getting out of that operation and how we can use that to better serve the American public. I want to bring Jack into the discussion as the Chief Information Security Officer. A lot of times CISOs begin the discussion around cloud with, well, maybe, let me see what it looks like. Uh, I, I want to trust and verify at the same time. So give me a sense of, of how you're looking at this modernization effort and from a, with a security lens. We, as part of the department, have taken a more active role in terms of migrating into the cloud. It's clear that we have a hybrid approach with on-premise and off-premise, and our steady state solutions aren't going to work for us over the decades, right? The technology is too hard to maintain, it's too expensive, and security has a similar stance where we realize that operating on-premise in terms of personnel, and in terms of equipment is not viable for us over the long term. So as we go from completely on-premise to hybrid environment to eventually an all-cloud type of solution, you know, we're taking a look at some of the key areas on where that might happen. For example, a managed security service where all of security operations is done externally or through primarily through contractors, as long as they're working to timeframes incident response, incident handling, malware analysis, advanced threat analytics, and they're meeting those requirements, that's gonna be extension of the security office. That's also true of the infrastructure we had. It, it, when the cloud implementations were new, there wasn't a one-to-one -one relationship of the security features that would be in NIST 853. And as we see that advancement of solutions over the course of time, we realized that the services that we're able to offer internally are more diverse and cheaper from a cloud perspective in certain aspects. So not only do we have one solution or two solutions uh, to pick from, but we have a whole slew of infrastructure services platforms that we could turn around and select at will to provide those security services across the board. Uh, in, in terms of the cloud implementation, at least from an interior perspective, we have a long-term vision you know, when we have data in the cloud, we have infrastructure in the cloud and securities in the cloud, 
what's the benefit to us? And I know where to make my investment. It's not the various endpoints that are all over the place, the many data centers that we have. I know that from a security perspective, we have a containment. It's that cloud provider where we're making all of our security investments over the long term. So the strategy is there. Now it's trying to get uh, interior into some manageable approach and transition them into a mostly cloud solution. It won't be 100% because we have some one-offs just like everything else. But security is a thread within the overall uh, migration to the cloud and we have our part. When you look at this migration and you look at the moves you're making, and, and I think you bring up a really interesting point about NIST 853 and, and initially, well, we didn't check all the boxes. Now it's less about checking those boxes and more about the, the, the risk management approach that we hear time and again. Is there a top concern? Is there a challenge you see from a security perspective when it comes to cloud and, and I'll broaden it to say network modernization? I think when we're talking about commoditized services and commoditized security services in particular, there aren't any really major concerns there. For example, protecting data and uh, the various devices that link into the cloud won't be an issue, but it's those one-offs that are really long-term uh, challenges for us. How do you get a high value asset, such as a point of sale systems that the National Park Service would be using, or a high value asset where it's one of the largest dams in the United States and it's providing power? How do you protect that from a cloud perspective? What is our connection from our infrastructure to distributed services all the way across the United States, across multiple time zones, and then how do you get all of that IT to turn around and work together? So that's been a major challenge for us in these one-off solutions. And it's not one, it's not two, it, it's some high number, and it numbers into hundreds, right? Uh, when you have a lot of infrastructure to run and industrial control systems and sensor systems for all types of things, we get satellite imagery, we get seismic sensors, we get all kinds of information that we have to deal with. And then we have to turn around and share that information with academia, the various universities. And remember, this public data is available and has to be shared to uh, the scientific community. All right, that's a good place to pick it up on the next segment. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Bill Vita, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Bill Vida, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. Before break, we started to talk about what it takes to secure cloud services. Bill brought up this idea of, of workforce, and I definitely want to go back to that, but let me bring Jack into this conversation a little deeper. We've heard a lot about the trusted internet connection. We've heard a lot about the frustration with TIC. Where does TIC 3.0 fit into your plans? And then also, we'll talk more broadly about some other ways you guys are ensuring the security of cloud services. Jack, start with TIC 3.0. Tech 3.0 is the next iteration of Tech 2.123, whatever iteration that you have there. But I, I think what you're seeing there is an evolution of requirements because of the various pushback and input and feedback provided by various uh, departments and agencies that are out there. And basically, what's going on is is that those costs of providing that security and transporting that data through Homeland Security solutions and Homeland Security standards 
was prohibitive, but it was something that we as a nation and as part of a, a large department, we had to do. But as time developed into cloud services came into development and those offerings started to come through uh, FedRAMP, you know, the FedRAMP standards and being able to have certified solutions that, that we knew and where we understood the requirements was, an av was advantageous to the department. And what does that mean? It's then this 853 controls being mapped to FedRAMP requirements and then the additional security requirements that are specific to the Department of Interior, where they're, whether it's um, a, a vendor solution for uh, communication on uh, virtually or it's uh, providing infrastructure or providing any type of application service, the idea is, is can you guarantee the security controls? Do you understand what they are? Do you understand the on-premise current solution and what the difference between that solution and the cloud service provider and the cloud service uh, solution is going to be? Once you get through that process, you could either make a determination that you have a one-for-one -one security solution that meets all your requirements, or there's a shortfall and an investment needs to come later, or, um, or it's something that you need to work on into the future. In terms of cloud implementation, uh, it, it's been an evolving uh, security plan. And in TIC 3.0, in particular, there's some interesting features there. And what it basically says is, look, you don't have to follow all the requirements that Homeland Security puts forward. What we'd like to do is have some very high level requirements and use cases, and we'd like to see that implementation, not necessarily by done by you, but you pick what you wanna do, on-premise, off-premise, onto the cloud, and what we envision in the future, and there'll probably be a tick 4.0 in, 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 in the re recent uh, future, is, is that you could see where uh, tick will be a solution in the cloud that's provided by every solution provider. It's just um, a menu selection. You turn around saying, hey, I want these security features that are in alignment with tick uh, 3.0. It's part of the selection process. I don't want to do it uh, any longer from a department on-premise uh, perspective, but I'd like to go to you, and I don't have to centralize that investment. It's wherever I happen to be making my um, cloud product selection or service selection or infrastructure selection, and the TIC 4, 3, or 2.0 will uh, align to the requirements put forward by Homeland Security and by the uh, federal government. Interesting, you, you talk about the, the, the future of, of the, the drop-down menu, I want this or I want that part based on your risk decision-making. Have you guys gotten in line yet? Have you raised your hand to DHS to say, we wanna be part of those use cases, we wanna pilot one of the use cases? Has that happened yet? Uh, yes, there are a number of departments and agencies uh, that I can't speak to, but we're one of the uh, organizations that have volunteered to be one of the key piloting programs. There have been smaller departments and agencies that have volunteered and went through alert early 3.0 implementation. We want to be one of the first departments, if we're able, to um, do a department-wide deployment with 3.0, uh, but we're still trying to figure out what those requirements are. You know, one of the uh, challenges from a departmental perspective is, is, is the investment we're going to make in alignment with the requirements that are coming in the future? And that hasn't been defined in 3.0. In fact, if you read the 3.0 standards, it says you can do this or that, and the requirements aren't very mappable to things that we could clearly identify saying we met all the requirements, and therefore the IT investment and the security investment has been safe. 
Um, we're looking for a little bit more clarity, but I think one of the major benefits of being a lead department agency with a 3.0 implementation is we get to drive requirements into the future, and that's the key aspect of it. And one of the key things from a um, security perspective is this, can we have all the data and analytics, cyber threat analytics in the cloud? Is that secure? What else do we turn around and need? How do we interact with data in the cloud and data on premise? And how do we create a single security solution that makes sense? In addition, how many transitions do we have to make as we go from one tick solution to the next? You know, that presents a level of risk for us, right? Every time we have to transition to a new solution, we got to figure out a transition and a cost to do so. And that solution is going to look a little bit different each and every time until we have a near 100% cloud solution from a security perspective. So that's the road that we're headed down to. Uh, but I think the major push is the department wants to exert its influence and it wants to shape what the TIC implementation should be. And that's what we'd like to see is vendors build a TIC solution for us to turn around and select. Uh, whether it's one cloud vendor or, or another, right now those uh, security solutions are not agnostic, right? You pick one and you're stuck with that vendor solution, but that can't be the way in the future. Two questions come up. Let me do the easy one first, maybe. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, DHS had kind of pushed out a, some telework guidance around TIC 3.0. Did you guys look into that? Did you guys were you able to use it much or, or did it come, I don't want to say late, but it was just didn't fit into your needs at the moment? First off, all the guidance that we received from everybody was valuable. Uh, brought different perspectives to our thinking and helped us frame frame the issues that we were locally facing within our department. So uh, uh, we're grateful that they uh, were able to push out guidance. Uh, we understand the constraints of speaking to a broad audience, and so we knew we'd be tailoring it with our own lessons learned and requirements, but, but I know it was helpful. But it, it's important to remember in an organization like ours, it, it's a, a very challenging environment. Most, most um, CIOs, I think, have a critical requirement to, of course, protect all the high-value assets and worry about the, the cybersecurity of their operations. But the Department of Interior is such a broad mandate. We support all the national parks. We support all of the Indian education systems. We support so many things that are customer-facing and public-facing that making sure that uh, we have telework guidance that allows us to maintain those priorities when the world was changing around our customers, right? Keeping that updated on the fly wasn't something we expected DHS to be able to, to support in the long term. We knew that we would have to take whatever we were handed and make sure that we adopted it to the, to the contingency as it was unrolling. So it was, it was another good input to the start of the process. Uh, we got great support from Suzette Kent uh, and the federal CIO's office. Uh, a lot of things that we needed to push through with urgency, she was always there for us and she made sure we could get them done in the most expedited way possible. So we're very grateful for that. It wasn't a single organization. It was, it was a lot of great leaders getting us the stuff we needed to get the job done. The other side of this question as well, uh, maybe bring Jack back into it, is the uh, award interior made for enterprise infrastructure solutions, the EIS program. That tends to come with a lot of cybersecurity. It tends comes to come with the modernization efforts. Can, can maybe Jack just talk briefly about how EIS or 
kind of that, that broader perspective is, is being how you're addressing the cyber challenges of cloud, of network modernization through a contract, whether it's EIS or just another approach beyond tech? EIS and that transition to, to what we had to where we needed to be is an opportunity for our department, right? The main benefit was uh, we didn't have to stay with legacy solutions and enable us to put as part of the planning process and modernization process, where are we going from an on-premise transit infrastructure where our entire enterprise is on-premise and what will we do in the future? And the EIS contract provided an opportunity and in, an injection point for us to find a new solution. With new solutions, we could put new requirements in place. So the EIS contract has been an enabler for the, the department allowing it to move along to its cloud uh, migration faster than it was before. Because normally what we would have is a contractual change, something that we would have to generate internally. And in fact, we had someone else, another department agency, work the opportunity for us, do the majority of the heavy lifting, which the department appreciates greatly, and said, hey, look, use this opportunity to enable IT modernization, Tell us what your networks look like now. Tell us where we need to be. And so from a high level perspective, I could tell you where we're gonna be from a security and network infrastructure perspective. You know, the first thing is, is how do we transfer on-premise to off-premise? And what does that look like first and how much of a hybrid environment are we gonna have? So the idea is, is what do we need to do next after that? Because we know that transit core networks, we're not in the business and we don't wanna do that on-premise anymore. A lot of telecom companies and cloud service providers could provide infrastructure as a service. And our next step is, is what type of security features and network features do we want in terms of stacks in the cloud that are operating virtually? So it looks like we have a transit core network and gateway and metro networks, but we're not operating any of it. We just put on the requirements and we say, look, security, network services, all the things that we love about having our own on-premise networks. We have those services. We don't see anything impeding us in being able to provide um, these services to our IT user community, but we're not doing it hands-on ourselves anymore. It's a, it's a service provider that does that for us now. Bill, I wanna take a quick break and we come back. I wanna have the conversation about the workforce because I think that's uh, another big part of this. As you said, this is less of a technology problem and more of a workforce uh, training problem or challenge, I should say. So let's take a quick break. My guests today are Bill Vida, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Bill Vida, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. Before break, we were talking about the idea here of cloud security, but, but really where TIC came in and some of the tools and, and, and approaches that you guys are using in Interior. And Bill, I want to go back to something you said earlier in the discussion, which is about training. And this idea of the right workforce trained the right way that just you know is, is no longer you know worried about pliers and wires, but worried about the other pieces and parts that, that are much more important now. Walk me through the Interior's approach to ensuring you do have the right people with the right skill sets. 
the good news for Interior is that we have at least 11 different best practices we can always draw upon. So with all of these Bureau uh, associate CIOs uh, trying to solve these problems within their organizations, it helps really focus the issue on where our seams and where our gaps lie. So when you're confronted with, as an ACIO, finding solutions that work within your bureau, and you've got an opportunity to share those solutions with your peers across the department, there's a lot of valuable lessons learned and a lot of valuable information that's exchanged across the way. So as one part becomes more savvy with a particular solution, the whole organization becomes more savvy. And so we've got a lot of great associate CIOs within the department who work well together. They share their lessons learned. Uh, they make sure that that information that they're collecting and that knowledge is being transferred um, amongst each other, amongst their peers. And so that gives them a great opportunity to uh, gain knowledge where maybe they don't have to make a commensurate investment in the relationship. Beyond that, though, I think we're taking a look at the, the long term with the ascendance of chief data officers once the Open Data Act was passed. It's clear that government is, as a whole, moving towards a time where we have less people directly employed supporting those basic technical skills you need to, to work within the IT industry and government and really try to fill the room with as many uh, problem-solving analysts that you can, because that's where the higher value comes uh, once, the, once the, the clouds free you from having to spend all your time worrying about operations. And so when you look at the 40-year the investment that you have with a, a typical Fed and the, the highest value that you can find uh, when making that investment, it's, it's gonna be in skills ultimately that uh, don't require a six month to two year refresh cycle to stay current with the latest technology that's coming on board. It's really taking a longer view of those people's careers and, and how they uh, uh, continue to be, become expert problem solvers uh, and leverage that data to greater benefit. And so right now we're seeing kind of the nascent most discussion around that. Uh, you're seeing the early formings of those relationships, whether it's between bureaus within the department or between people working with our, our vendor partners uh, in maintaining those environments, but it's, it's beginning, it's starting to see traction. And uh, one of the most exciting things to come out uh, recently was refocusing on how to develop the federal IT workforce towards that future. How do you take people uh, who, are, who are in their mid-career uh, roles and start moving them towards that vision uh, of being that excellent group of problem solvers and analysts. And um, the real world isn't chivalrous, you know, it throws us a curve every once in a while and gives us a chance to test out how resilient those ideas are. And the good news is even, even during moments of crisis, it's absolutely clear the world still needs good problem solvers. I like your terminology of problem solvers. They're not necessarily data scientists or data analysts or data this or data that. It's what's the problem your agency is trying to solve and how can they help? And sometimes that is all technology. Sometimes it's a little bit of technology and it's all data. Well, most of the time we know it's all data these days. I'm interested in knowing though, as you are training those folks and ensuring that they meet, that they have the skill sets you need, do they have to understand both environments? Do they have to understand the fact you'll be in the cloud for some things, but you'll be on-prem for others? And does that matter to them? 
or or is it just they don't care where the data is as long as they can access the data to solve those problems? At this point, there's there's no wrong decision, right? As you're trying to be a problem solver, there's an endless set of problems that need to be solved, and you can dig in pretty much anywhere you want. But it, it's how do you maximize the value of that experience for the rest of the organization? We we only want to do things that are bringing benefit to the American people, to the world. We want to make sure we're giving the best customer-focused service services and service delivery that we possibly can. And as people are learning what that means, and when they're confronted by challenges that uh, require them to have a strong network to reach out to, that's really what we're seeing, is these experiences are being collected up and they're not just sitting in one brain, but they're actually being discussed by peers. And they're using that information to beautify the next set of responses for the next set of challenges that come. And so, you know, that's an iterative process. I'm sure there's, there'll be, and, and we've already seen more formal programs being stood up to try to figure out how to, uh, how to address the data science issue and the data scientist issue. But, you know, we're still at the beginning of that journey. And I think the jury is still out about what the pace of that will look like and what the best delivery methods and the best services look like. But I can tell you, uh, no matter what they choose, uh, being able to communicate effectively and work with your peers is going to be one of the most important things that the problem solvers are going to face in the future. And, uh, and, and so I think what we've started at the department is a great start. Uh, we're partnering with our Chico to do that, with OPM, again, through the CIO Council. And, and so we're very excited about it. But it all comes down at the end of the day to people and being able to overcome the challenges that get put in front of them. And um, they're rife in every part of the business. We're, we're grateful for the folks who are digging in now. Jack, let me bring you back into the conversation because you probably also play a role in the training side when it comes to people, but you also play a role in this idea of, well, if one security approach or tool works in the cloud, can it also work on-prem because of this hybrid? So walk me through some of your thoughts around the training, but also about just the approaches to security more broadly and how do you find that right balance between the, the on-prem and the cloud? Let me start with the training portion of it. You know, we're not talking about cyber hygiene, best practices as a user. Cyber training from a cybersecurity expert perspective is really the analytical thought process. That thought process is completely independent of the technology below. And that's true if you take a look at the cybersecurity professionals across the board. Uh, they're not all computer science people. They're not all IT people. They're not finance people. We have English majors, people from different fields. But the commonality that we see from a training perspective, whether these people are trainable or not, is, is can they think analytically and can they problem solve? Once we have that issue addressed and opportunity addressed, it's easy to turn them into cyber warriors under these perspectives and cyber defenders. Uh, why? They have the um, mindset and the thought processes that turn around and say, this is how we problem solve and provide solutions to the organization. Now, in terms of cloud implementation and that distinct line between cloud and on-premise, that line is disappearing. In fact, it's all about how do you get different solutions and integrate them together. And from an IT perspective, if we can't make that service seamless as possible, 
then we're not providing a good IT service across the board. And that's true from a cybersecurity perspective. I think when technology was less developed, required much more low level skills, meaning you really had to understand the technology, the bits and bytes, and you didn't have these abstract tools and simple to easy um, access tools that you use to process information and do the analytics. That was the technology challenge in the past, but now it's not about the technology. In fact, the technology is enabled between the cloud and the on-premise solutions to the point that it is becoming more seamless. So when we talk about uh, data in the cloud from a, a cybersecurity operations center and working with that data, it, the answer is, is I'm not aware of it and I shouldn't be aware of it. I may understand it from an acquisition perspective, from a contract perspective, maybe two different vendors, but for the analyst that's working with the data and the solutions, where that data sits is not relevant and that technology line has disappeared and I expect that trend to continue in the future. Do you get a sense that the data line has disappeared from a tool perspective or are there different tools for on-prem in the cloud or is that what you mean by the data line it doesn't really tools will pull the data and that's what you really care about it doesn't matter if this antivirus tool or if this firewall tool where it sits it's what i what, what's the data i'm getting from it and then that's where i can help make better decisions yeah and i think if we talk about the continuous diagnostic uh, uh, mitigation program i think if we saw the solutions 10 years ago there's a difference between on-premise and off-premise and there wasn't the one-to-one -one mapping. But if you take a look at it now, is there antivirus on the on-premise? The answer is yes. Is there antivirus in the cloud? The answer is yes. Is there data loss prevention on and off-premise? The answer is yes. So if you take a look at all the high-level requirements in terms of threat analytics, data loss prevention, uh, privacy protection, and the other things that are important from a cyber perspective, there's a, there is not only a one-to-one one mapping, but those solutions work together almost seamlessly. In fact, you, you have to make a concerted effort to make bad choices at this point, right? Because not only is there a service offering in the cloud, but now there's multiple vendors there. And regardless of what solution you're talking about and what vendor you pick, you realize there's a competitive view and a competitive product that is um, not only trying to get your business, but is a choice that you have from a perspective. So that's a good position to be in from a federal government position. It's nice to be in a good position sometimes. I know that. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. Maybe we'll talk about something else besides security. My guests today are Bill Vita, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. Welcome back, you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Bill Vita, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. Before break, we started to talk a little bit about this idea of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. Jack, you brought up this idea of, you know, 15, 10 years ago, there was a big difference between maybe on-prem and in the cloud. Today, however, there's less of that difference. And that that's actually is a great segue to a diagnostic and reporting framework that I think you guys are developing. It's gonna have some dashboards, give you guys a broader view of risk. 
Jack, lead us off. Help me understand what this, this dashboard looks like and, and how are you guys going to use it to measure risk? I, I think it's very uh, easy to think of the challenges that we have in terms of a dashboard. And it shouldn't be any more complex than that. And, and what I mean by that in a non-cybersecurity and co computer perspective is this. When you have a dashboard in front of you and you're sitting in front of a car, you have a speedometer. You would hope that that speedometer uh, measures how fast you're going in terms of accuracy there. But if it isn't, that's when you have a problem. This is what data are you turning around and examining and what are you looking at and why is it interesting to you? From a cybersecurity perspective, when we're doing development of dashboards, how do you get this immense field of data in the volumes that are out there and get it to be in a dashboard that you could act upon? Take a look at the data, quickly assess, give that information to the decision makers, and then turn around and do something about it. Otherwise, enable a cyber defense feature, go into incident response, go after the threat, go hunting after the threat. And that is a developing field, and you're gonna see some advanced things happen from a data analytic perspective and a data management perspective. And why is that important? Well, frankly, it's important at the end of the day because the data that we have, there's so much of it that we need um, machine learning and AI to parse through the majority of it because we have a small number of analysts that can look at the dashboard. The dashboard also has to be measurable in certain sense. Does that risk make sense to the analyst? Does that risk make sense to the decision maker? How I process information and how Bill processes information versus how the analyst processes information, it's at different levels and we gotta have information fed to us in that format. And so when we talk about risk, risk has to be in practical terms. Now we understand it from a home perspective. What's the risk to our house? Is it being burglarized? Is there a fire? <laughs> what do you have to turn around and react to? And cyber risk has to be quantified in similar measures. For example, if I tell you system X is risk five, you're gonna turn around and says, I don't understand what that means from a dashboard perspective. I have no context to it and I can't make a decision. And that data point isn't very relevant to me. But if I turn around and say, look, I have a thousand dollar asset and I have a $500 risk, otherwise that um, asset may diminish in value by half, uh, and that's a risk, and that's quantified that way, you're going, well, if I only have $1,000, I don't wanna lose half my investment, and that's a blatantly easy decision to make. So what you're seeing is a quick evolution of data streaming in to processes that quantify risk in values like dollar figures, because when you make a multi-million dollar investment, a risk of $1 doesn't mean anything. We manage that. A risk of $100 doesn't mean anything, and we manage that. A risk of $200,000, that's when it becomes more relevant to us. And so when you express um, risk in quantified measures, it makes the decision process from a decision-maker perspective much easier. And tell you the truth, the cyber warriors out there learn, have to learn how to speak this way. You talked about training earlier. This is one of the ways going, how do you express risk? Not in one, not in two, not in five, but what's the number and how do you get attention to the problem that you need to the people who don't work with IT and the people who don't work in the cybersecurity field? One of the biggest challenges has always been is proving the negative. Well, we did this or we use this tool or we add this capability and we will stop the cyber attackers. Well, how much? 
And, and I think this is part of that discussion is how do you understand, how do you talk in a way that non-technical people can go, okay, I get that. And I see the value of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's an investment or a new tool or, or, or decision being made. Um, were you with the dashboard or is it out there? Is it in pilot mode? Give me a sense. So we are there from a dashboard perspective. It's just a matter of how much dashboard do we want and how sophisticated do we want to make it? The idea of getting this data and making risk-based decisions, it's true. Are we preventing bad things from happening to us? Yes, that's part of the answer. But the other part is, is how do we make smart IT investments? Also from a security perspective, and I'll use one example, data loss prevention. I think when we first started in data loss prevention, and just five years ago, that when you bought a multi-million dollar solution, we could say less bad things were happening, but we weren't able to turn around and prove it. We, Look, we're keeping intellectual property within the enterprise and we're keeping it from going to the outside because from a reputational perspective, it's terrible risk and we shouldn't do it. We're at the point now where we use the dashboard saying, look, when we put data loss prevention in, I could tell you how much data was leaving the enterprise before that investment. After the investments being made, I could tell you where we're blocking and protecting at the internet where we're blocking and protecting within the main infrastructure, and then where we're blocking and protecting at the endpoint. And there's a data point before and after in a snapshot picture. It's just like those views of what the neighborhood looked like 50 years ago versus now, right? You take either two and you're going, wow, I see a noticeable difference. That's how the dashboard should work, and that's what we're getting to. And you're gonna see uh, that streamlined process and that easy access to information help us make IT investments. We've uh, had a great conversation about security, but I'm sure there's much more going on across the interior department besides security. We've talked a little about cloud network modernization, but walk me through some of your other priorities. What are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months beyond obviously security? The things within our, our part of the world are really trying to capture the silver lining from this COVID contingency. You know, it, it moved us at a far more accelerated pace into the kind of opportunities that we're enjoying now, these kind of online collaborations and these, it, it feels like when uh, collaboration tools, when video teleconferencing, when communications became ubiquitous and part of normal operations every day. There's a, a ton there to follow up with, uh, Bill, but uh, unfortunately uh, we're gonna say we're out of time for today because, well, we are out of time. And uh, there's a, a, I'll definitely have you and Jack back on in the near future. But so let me thank my guests, Bill Vida, the Interior Department's Chief Information Officer, and Jack Donnelly, the Interior Department's Chief Information Security Officer. Bill, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jason. It was great to be here today. Jack, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Swish Data and Checkpoint Software Technologies on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Ask the CIO. You can't get much for five bucks these days. Unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT. Plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink. All for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii.